Hello, and welcome to Valsource Viewpoints. I'm Jim Vesper, Director of Learning Solutions at Valsource. At Valsource, we serve the pharma and biopharma industry as commissioning, qualification, validation, and consulting experts. This is another podcast in our series concerning the revision to Annex 1, which is the European Medicine Agency's requirements on producing sterile medicinal products. In this podcast, we're talking with several Valsor senior consultants who focus on risk management. Joining us today are Kelly Waldron, Tiff Baker, and Amanda McFarland. Welcome, everybody. Hi, Jim. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Glad you're part of this. Uh, Before we get into the details of Annex 1, if each of you could just introduce yourselves, uh, who you are, what you're doing now with Valsource. So, Tiff, could we start with you? Sure, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. My name is Tiff Baker for everybody that's listening. Uh, Like Jim said, I'm a senior consultant with Valsource. I focus in on QRM mostly. Uh, My background also is in micro, so I really enjoy contamination control related assessments as well. Um, But I've been working for years with Valsource, helping companies uh, develop programs, facilitate sensitive assessments, um, and really just uh, help move the industry forward in terms of QRM. Terrific. Thanks, Tiff. Glad you're part of this. Amanda. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me here. Uh, Amanda McFarland, also a senior consultant with Valsource. And as Tiff described, having a, a QRM focus as well as a contamination control focus. And in my world, that comes from a mycological perspective. So I have a strong interest in understanding those microbial uh, populations um, including the fungi in our clean spaces. Yes, you're the, you're the mold lady. <laughs> I am. In this. Proudly. <laughs> Proudly. Glad to have you here, Amanda. Kelly. Thanks, Jim. Thrilled to be here. Um, I'm Kelly Waldron. I've been uh, with Valsource about five years, first as a senior consultant in the quality risk management space. And recently, um, I became the business unit manager for our quality and manufacturing science related business units in the consulting division. So I've been uh, focused on quality risk management since about 2008. So I really have quite a bit of experience with a big love of QRM um, and very excited to talk about it in the context of Annex One. So thanks for having me. Sure. Yeah, it's great to have people that have a passion about both contamination control strategies and QRM. So uh, I'm glad you're all part of this today. So Kelly, this is a question for you. Early on in the Annex 1 revision process, uh, you took a look at Annex 1 through the eyes of a QRM, quality risk management uh, practitioner. What did you notice in that look at the drafts of Annex 1? Oh gosh, I think, you know, what struck me the most is how often risk and and risk management and risk assessment and risk-based thinking was called out in the revisions Annex 1. So the current effective version of Annex 1, I think it it uses the word risk 17 times. Um, 15 draft iterations later in Annex 1, we're now looking at the word risk being used over 100 times. So that you know, it was a little spurt of joy for me, followed by a little mm-hmm. bit of anxiety. Um, you know, it's a very significant difference in terms of really invoking QRM principles um, in, in light of aseptic processing. Um, 
you know, that the range of, of different ways in which risk management and risk assessment is invoked um, definitely reflects some of that current thinking, um, having the formality of it be proportionate to the risk. So in some cases, you know, Annex 1 um, is asking for us to use risk principles. In other ways, it's talking about the need for us to do formal risk assessments to help support our sterile um, processing. So there's a lot of references now in these new drafts, whereas we only saw very few um, in the past. Mm -hmm. So a, a big increase in the need for organizations to do risk-based thinking and apply uh, risk management principles. Mm -hmm. uh, Amanda, this is, this is for you. Uh, you know, in looking at the draft of Annex 1, they do make these distinctions that uh, uh, Kelly alluded to. You know, in some cases, it's a risk-based decision, like pressure differentials identified as critical should be continuously monitored and recorded. So when you have the word critical, that's to me is a, a risk-based word. So if there's critical, mm -hmm. there also are things that are non-critical. In other places, a risk assessment is specifically required. Any comments that you can make on that differentiation? Yeah, sure. You know, to, to address the, the more uh, customary or the, the things that we think about when we think about risk assessment tools, I mean, in my view, tools have a set of instructions. They have a beginning and an end and a set of rules, so to speak, that sort of guide you through the process. And it's a very systematic and it's a stepwise decision. And when we're looking at risk-based decisions, we're really drawing upon those risk principles in order to guide us. So as you mentioned, using things like making a decision between critical or non-critical or direct product contact or no product contact, we're using these uh, concepts in order to help move us in a direction without going through that formal analysis. So using some of the knowledge and the knowledge management that we have at our organizations in order to, to drive those decisions where we don't need to invest the time and effort that we would on something like a, a hazard analysis and critical control points, for example. Yeah, so you know, the, the be able to use more informal tools. And I know that the revision to uh, Q9 that's coming out uh, they're going to be talking uh, more about that. So in some cases, we do need to use formal tools. Other cases, we can just, you know, apply those principles, risk-based thinking. So, you know, one of the most commonly used tools out there that we see in the pharma industry is FMEA, failure mode effects analysis. So Tiff, a question for you, do we have to use that all the time? Are there other options that we can use? This is a great question. Um, and I would say capital bold italics, no, please don't use FMEA for everything. Um, if we're an organization that's using it for everything, we're probably not using it right, right? And so when we start to look at things like Annex 1, um, we wanna make sure that we're really being thoughtful on that tool selection. Um, and the best way to do that is to take that step back right? Don't jump right into performing a risk assessment right away. Don't run in there with your FMEA template. But instead, what you want to look at is what is the actual question we're trying to answer here? So this specific 
place in Annex 1 that we're, we're being pushed towards a risk-based decision or a risk assessment, what is it really trying to answer? And if you can understand what you're trying to answer, you can better tie in the tool with that. Is it a process-related thing? That's something we're going to want to talk FMEA, right? But if we're talking contamination control, this could be HACCP, this could be LOPA, and that, those are just the formal approaches. Um, a lot of the places that we're talking about less formal tools, we have a whole suite of options that are available there. Um, so what you really want to do is really understand what you're trying to answer before you get there, but there's a ton of different tools and approaches that we could use to answer all of these different questions. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And, you know, the answers that you're uh, generating uh, through the risk-based principles, through the more formal tools, they'll be uh, put into a contamination control strategy. So we have a, another uh, uh, podcast uh, that we're doing uh, where we really focus on that. So this is uh, a question uh, maybe for, for all of you that, you know, with the risk assessments that are expected, how can an organization accomplish this in an efficient, effective manner? wants to go first? Sure, I could jump in there quick. Okay. Um, so the first thing that I'd probably say is that once you get your organization to take a look at uh, the new Annex 1 drafts, the first thing you're probably going to want to do to the point that I was making earlier is do one of those gap assessments, right? That will help you understand where it's required and give you that opportunity to take that step back and see kind of what approach you should use for that specific um, reference. Good. So first, uh, you know, look at the requirements, look at what's expected of us. Uh, Amanda, what would you say to help us do this in an effective, efficient manner? So taking what Tiff described as part of that gap assessment to begin to craft a, a master plan, some sort of, of playbook or a, a set of, of risk assessments that you would be performing in order to ensure that you're fully covered from that CCS perspective. So this master plan, is a, it's a strategy that outlines the activities that you're going to take. And these activities will, will be able to demonstrate that your facility is in a state of control, your processes, your systems are, are all operating in a state of control to meet that intent of, of the CCS. Mm -hmm. Great. Kelly, any, any thoughts on this from you? I, I think Tiff and Amanda are spot on doing that gap assessment and translating the results of the gap assessment into a master plan that outlines what that future risk assessment portfolio, if you will, will look like. Mm -hmm. um, I've experienced a lot of success in taking that master plan and prioritizing the activities using a risk-based approach. So looking at, for example, um, the criticality of, an, of a risk assessment that needs to be done and rating all of that work, seeing which is mm -hmm. most important to least important. And then if you want to get extra fancy with it, maybe you can um, add in the ease at which you could complete that risk assessment. So looking at whether something is formal, um, very rigorous versus less formal might be mm -hmm. sort of low hanging fruit to complete. Mm -hmm. using those criteria of criticality um, and approach to prioritize that master plan is really going to help organizations reach that goal in a very mm -hmm. efficient way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think, you know, what, what you're pointing out there is risk management, risk-based thinking. It's all about making decisions. And, you know, what, mm -hmm. what do we go through first? And having a structured approach can really, really help with that. Great. So, 
you know, you're QRM practitioners, you've been doing this uh, for organizations uh, for, for many years uh, when you, you know, worked uh, directly with an organization uh, with different companies and now as consultants. So a question for you now is based on those experiences that you've had, what are some of the elements a company, a firm needs to have in place so their QRM activities are successful? Maybe Amanda, start with you on that one. Yeah. So my my gut reaction to this question is management support. So management leadership having an understanding of the risk management program and fully supporting that. And one thing that I see with Annex One here is that Annex One is really telling us that it, it's time that we have a stronger connection between the concepts of risk management, the role of leadership, and risk communication. And with clients that I work with and individuals that are working to develop their risk management program and integrate some of these concepts, you'll see that when people have an understanding of the synergy between management, between risk appetite, risk tolerance, that your risk assessments are more likely to get done, first of all, and they'll get done effectively and honestly. With this, this management support, it, it really is the underpinning for an organization that understands the value of, of these individual assessments and what they mean collectively. Nice, nice. Kelly, uh, what what have uh, your thought? What are your thoughts on this one about uh, having a successful program? Well, I think to you know to expand upon what what Amanda mentioned for management support, part of that support needs to be in the provision of resources, right? Mm -hmm. Management needs to recognize the criticality of doing these risk assessments and applying risk-based thinking. Um, and they need to ensure that there is resources allocated in order to get this done. And, and a critical resource, in my view, would be the use of a qualified facilitator. So, very often your experts in, in terms of Annex One will be your process scientists, your microbiologists, your manufacturing personnel. Um, when you're endeavoring upon a risk assessment or the application of risk-based decision-making, it is really critical to relieve the burden off of those experts of the QRM space <laughs> and get somebody who is trained in the variety of risk management techniques and who can really focus on being a neutral arbitrator, helping those individuals get the knowledge out of them and capture it in that risk tool. Um, so I'm a big advocate of having that specific role of a qualified facilitator be sort of the shepherd um, mm -hmm. helping that team of subject matter experts through these activities. Yeah. Yeah, and when you you know think about the word facilitator and and the the really the the root word uh, of that is facile, it's to make easy, and that's what that uh, facilitator is doing for the rest of the subject matter experts uh, that are working there. Good. What about you, Tiff? Any thoughts on uh, on this one? Yeah, absolutely. So I think to build on that management support and those qualified facilitators, I think a really critical piece for any of these organizations to have is a really good, robust QRM training program, right? And so as Kelly mentioned, this is not only making sure that your facilitators know how to use the tools that are available to them and make sure that we're all following that same methodology, but this could mean making sure we have 
a training geared specifically towards those SMEs. What do they need mm -hmm. to know? This could be training mm -hmm. geared towards that management. How do I interpret what I'm seeing as outputs for these risk assessments? And so I think making sure that our organization is on the same page and thinking the same way about our QRM program and the assessments that come out of it is really kind of critical here. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah, having having that management support, yeah, having uh, trained people, trained facilitators to make that uh, risk assessment, make those risk-based decisions consistent, effective, and efficient. Good. This has been a fun conversation with you guys. Uh, anything else as we're wrapping up? Anything else that you'd want to add? Just sort of uh, off the off uh, off going off script here for a minute. I. I would just like to say how thrilled I am at this version of Annex One. It's really transitioning us into a space where we're focused on control strategies. And mm -hmm. I think when we, you know, when we look at ICHQ 8, 9, 10, 11, those really introduce that concept of process control strategy and how that relates in the quality system. I see this as really the continuation of that same idea mm -hmm. that our goal should be control over our process, over the contamination potential. Um, and Annex One is really a huge leap forward in that. It's so complementary to QRM, which mm -hmm. is focused on, you know, identifying what controls you need. And then what are vulnerabilities in that control strategy that you need to um, have additional controls? Yeah. So that control strategy is complete um, and, and is, is effective and we can really protect our patients. I just can't wait for it to become effective. <laughs> you know, I, I also see that this is really, it's almost forcing a focus on proactive risk management. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I find that to be something that is so challenging for organizations to really motivate themselves to do because they have a day to day and, and it can be really challenging to be forward thinking but when we have an, a document and a guidance document that comes along that is, is gently guiding us to think about things prospectively, I, I think that this is the nudge that really advances the maturity of risk management and, and, mm -hmm. and begins to demonstrate to us as an industry what it really means to collect risk-based information and share that information through a knowledge management conduit. So I'm excited, although I, I understand the anxiety around the gravity of changes. Um, mm -hmm. I do think that in the end, as Kelly mentioned, our patients win. Yep. Good. Mm. Tiff, I, any thoughts I, from you? Sure. And I would absolutely echo that thought, Amanda, that in the end, the patients win. I think um, we have a unique kind of viewpoint on this, our lens is different. So the three of us could talk QRM until the cows come home, right? We talk about it every day, all day. <laughs> um, but what's been really cool and unique, and you know, we'll recognize that this is gonna be a big change in industry with this new Annex mm -hmm. One draft, um, but we've really got a, gotten a unique opportunity to watch kind of all of industry mature together. 
And so echoing Amanda's point too, with things moving towards the proactive space and really seeing the value that QRM provides here, um, it's been a really cool process to watch that happen over the, the past couple of years. Um, and so to see kind of once this goes live and people even further mature in their thinking of how to do this in that proactive mm -hmm. space, I think it's going to be really interesting over the next couple of years to see where it goes even further. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I think the point that you all have made is that it's it's proactive. You know, so often in our industry, we are reacting to things. But to be able to invest the time, invest the resources to say, okay, how can we do this better? Uh, how can we have better control of our processes uh, and be able to protect uh, the product for the patient? I think that's uh, really important. So thanks for being part of this. Uh, you know, you know, we've been talking about you know, understanding those requirements, doing a gap assessment, uh, prioritizing those uh, risk assessments, those risk-based uh, questions that need to be answered. Uh, there are a variety of tools out there that really go beyond just failure mode effects analysis uh, that uh, really can help us do this in an effective and efficient way. And that management support is really critical uh, to provide the resources because this is going to take time. Uh, it's going to take training of facilitators and subject matter experts, but it's really an investment in the, the process and investment uh, for protecting uh, patients. So thanks for uh, being part of this. And, uh, you know, we're looking forward to the uh, new revisions uh, that will be uh, finalized uh, in Annex 1 coming soon. So uh, we may be uh, revisiting this topic as well as some others. But here at Valsource, we have a number of experts that are some of the industry leaders in risk management, and they can be valuable resources for your organization. So if you're wanting more information about Annex 1 in general, or some of the specific tools like uh, Annex 1 Roadmap or an online uh, gap assessment tool that we have, visit the Valsource.com website and look for the Annex 1 link. Also, if you have any other comments or questions, please visit our website or send us an email at info at So thanks for listening. We hope you'll come back to another podcast from us at Bellsource.